Welcome back to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast. Today on the episode, Sun Singh, one of New Zealand's best um, strength and conditioning coaches, if not the best, has worked with the likes of Israel Desanya, Sonny Bill Williams, Quade Cooper, the All Whites, seniors, under 20s, Kai Corafrance. If I had to keep going on, my page would be like two pages long of everyone that Sun has um, as coached with and worked in with. And, and I thought I'd love to have you on the show to see, firstly, A, fellow South African, come over to New Zealand, <laughs> the hustle, the lifestyle, all the rest of it. And how has it taken from coming over like I've had and coming to a point now that you're becoming one of the best in your field that we spoke about off air, like you could, your phone must have like the biggest um, OG boys around that you can call up and just go, hey, what's happening and hang out with. But uh, soon to welcome to the show. No, thank you for having me. And I think uh, persistence, I remember when you, we first connected on yeah. Instagram and and then when you asked uh, very politely and the South African part definitely twisted my arm. So that, that was an easy, easy one for me. So I always love uh, connecting with my people back home because yeah. we understand each other. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're on a different breed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we sometimes the rest of the world thinks we are yeah. souls because we're over that different breed, right? That's <laughs> yeah. how we come across. But it's, it's funny because I think it's so true before we get into sort of your past. And, uh, it's about one of the biggest things with yourself, and it's true, your brand, is your integrity, your bluntness, and your openness, right? Yeah. And I think that is some state very true to the South African upbringing. You have to, right? The bluntness, the openness, yeah. and um, and the integrity going there because if you don't take on one of those spaces, you don't stand strong in those places, you get consumed or you get yep. beaten down by society as we grow up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why when you come over onto this side, the general public sees that as a bit more arrogance, arsehole, or the rest mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. But when you get into, you know, sports and performance that you like you doing and, and conditioning and you start getting into these big boys, a lot of those big boys or girls, a lot of those those people, what they want is someone just to tell them the truth, not fluff their ego anywhere else. I can imagine, you know, the likes of Izzy or Sonny Bill and stuff like that, you know, gods in their own right. Mm. They want someone to come to them straight up and go, this is the truth. Mm. I don't care who you what you are. Mm. Uh, and this is how, you know, you go forward with it. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, when you're working at the upper level or the highest performers in, uh, I guess, my industry, yeah. They know the truth mm -hmm. and they know a bullshitter from <laughs> one that's not. So when we're there to sort of, I guess, solidify their thoughts yeah. is what I call it. Um, that's pretty much it. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. That's what he wants us to do. Like, they don't want to be babied. Mm -hmm. They want feedback as raw as possible. You know, um, I'd say the older athletes, uh, yes, they love that rawness. Nowadays, you got to be a little bit careful Gentle. because um, people's uh, feelings get hurt. But that does not stop me from being me. <laughs> I will tell you exactly what I think. If you want me yeah. and you want my coaching, mm -hmm. you have to have all of me. Yeah. And that's my bluntness or me not beating around the bush and getting straight to the point because at high performance, we don't have much time. Yeah. Time is very much limited, so we got to get uh, to the job really quick, mm -hmm. right? So if I got to tell you, oh, look, uh, shut up, get out of here. <laughs> that was not fucking good enough. Yeah. We need to do this better. Yeah. So I always say, do not attach emotions and feelings to feedback. Mm -hmm. So the, true. Yeah. The moment you do that, nah, 
It's not personal. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I get a uh, time. Um, I, I coach my my, my boys. Um, Eleven. I've been coaching football uh, and cricket. I gave up the cricket because he stepped away from it a year ago. But I've been coaching football five years. Never played the sport, right? So this is the funny thing. Never played the sport. Never understood. Been coaching for five years, and even as eleven or twelve year olds, I still have it as if they're seniors. So I get. <laughs> I'm lucky that the same parents have been with me um, for five years and they love it because their boys listen and because they get put on the spot. But when I get newbie parents coming along, they, I, I do get warned by the wife going, just be careful. Because when the kid fails and you turn around and you call the kid a cabbage and it's yes. horrible and you know what you're doing and don't do that crap or I'll chase you home. Mm. Most parents aren't going to accept that for their little Timmy and Tom 11-year-old, right? Yeah. Where my boys just are so used to it, they feed off it. Yeah. And it works for that environment. The funny thing is, I've had this conversation mm. on Saturday, it was Saturday afternoon, just before uh, the football, our football game that I, I work for, Eastern Suburbs. Yeah. And I was having a conversation where one of the players walk into the dressing room and we're talking about coaches and young kids. Hey, everyone. Sorry for the interruption. Just a quick shout out from my sponsors. My name is Kenyon Clark and I'm the founder of the Duval Group. We are a large-scale property developer, and alongside our property development business, we also have our gym business based in Manico and with new locations opening soon. We're passionate about serving our community, and we do that through the Duval Foundation, and I hope that we are able to be a voice of encouragement and inspiration for a whole new generation of entrepreneurs. Let's get back to the show. And we're listening to coaches on the sideline and one's yelling and one's not. And we're like, it'd be so different when you have a parent that has n no clue about sport mm -hmm. versus a parent that has played sport, mm. been through it. That's normal. Mm. That's normal for them. Versus the parent that has no clue. Yeah. It's going to be like, oh my, this is, this is bad. <laughs> but really, they, they don't understand the dynamics of yeah. sport and the investment, and I guess everyone learns a little bit different. And through the coaching career, you understand yeah. uh, interpersonal skills. You understand who you can drill, who you can't drill, uh, what sort of tone you can use on this group versus that group. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're trying to get the best out of them. You get the best out of them. Team performs well. Team performs well. That means you performing well. As, yep. you know. So as much as sometimes you want to just drill, 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 we got to look at, okay, how can I get the best out of people? Yep, totally. Uh, so there's that fine line. So let's just go back a little bit, right? Obviously, South Africa was, like I said, uh, uh, raised in Durban, mm. come over here at quite a young age, or been you've been here a lot, lot longer than I have. Yeah. Um, so you you serve more of a life sentence in New Zealand than I have. Yeah. Um, talk me through sort of your the upbringing that led you into this path, because I don't, I don't see South Africans jumping from that to wherever this the world and coming to where you are now. Yeah. Um, it's it's quite a unique path. I'd love to know yeah. the, you know, how did it trigger? How did you find your place? Yeah. Uh, so I came here when I was 17. Mm -hmm. So I spent 17 years in Durban, in Chatsworth. Um, not the best uh, community <laughs> for opportunities. Yeah. Uh, you know, low socioeconomic. And you're just dreamers. Yeah. A bunch of dreamers. I was heavily into sport. And I guess throughout South Africa, mm -hmm. sport is quite big. It's a way out yeah. to a lot of people, right? 100%. So that was me. Mm -hmm. I needed to get out through sport or I needed to get an education. But that all got taken away and I was like, I have to do both because if one fails, <laughs> i got a backup yeah. plan. Uh, you know, I understood at a young age, not everybody makes it in sport. Mm -hmm. And it's just growing up in South Africa, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, was, I think I was fairly good age group. Uh, so that was me good. My father was heavy into uh, running football and stuff and he ran at a high level for South Africa, etc. So we're always involved in sport or always aware of it. Um, 
always wanted to be a pro footballer or a runner. Mm -hmm. That that was my thing. Uh, but I had to get an education. I was like, oh, I had to go down the medical field mm -hmm. or something because that's where the money is. <laughs> and I came from a very poor family, yeah. you know. Um, so there's weeks where I'm going fishing with my father every freaking day and we're eating fish every day because there's nothing in the house. Yeah. You know, I'm picking fruits off trees and selling it at the side of the road. This mm -hmm. is at 12 years old and 11 years old. My sisters are like 1K down the road. They got a table with avocados mm -hmm. selling it there. Uh, my mother is cooking and sewing running singlets and going to running races and selling it there. You know, so, and you know the South African mm. taxi ranks? Yeah. It's not a place to be. <laughs> and you got your mother sitting there and selling yeah. stuff that she's sewing. So you've been through that from a young age. You're like, man, do I just, is this the, the life? Is, is this life, right? Is, is, yeah. This is it. And I was happy. Mm -hmm. I was happy, but I was, I need, I'm like, watch TV and I'm like, man, what would it be like being on the sideline? Mm-hmm. What would it be like just going to the stadiums or kicking it with these pro athletes? It looks, because, you know, when you watch it on TV, yep. it's, such a, it's such a trip. You're like, wow. You know, because we're in sport and we look up mm. to these people and you're like, okay, cool. But then you see your community and you're like, oh, okay. I remember that kid. That kid's now 20. Oh, that kid's now 25. Oh, man, got kids mm -hmm. working, job, working in a mall in Edgar's or something, <laughs> you know. Living life comfortably, happy, you'll die there. Mm. That's it. Like, there's that reality of things in you, but then there's that 1% like, surely, surely there's a way out. Yeah. Um, so you dream and carry on. And old man, there was an opportunity for New Zealand, Australia, and Canada. Mm -hmm. And his brother was here and he's like, oh, why don't you come for like a job opportunity? And spoke to one of the big, I think it was Fletcher or Hawkins, or one, one mm -hmm. of them back in, this was 99, came over as a plasterer by trade. Did that and they offered him, you know, hey, you can mm -hmm. come over. So when I was born, my father and them used to put money away, like whatever they could afford. Because mm -hmm. when I finished school, they wanted me to study because they're like, you got to get the family yeah. out. Yeah. You know, uh, like my sister's qualified for university, but couldn't afford to go to university, mm -hmm. just go and work sort of thing. So we're like, okay, so I got to do this. So what they did was they cashed it up. I finished my standard nine mm -hmm. um, in South Africa. They cashed that policy up that bought us tickets and a container, mm -hmm. we put everything, everything in, in it, it. Yeah. and shipped it over. Um, so yeah, we came over here and then, yeah, played sport. Uh, the first year went to Auckland Grammar, <laughs> biggest school I've seen in my life. <laughs> I come from Chatswood. Yeah. You know, it's a little Indian, colored and black community where our did, schools are not did, the greatest. Did you have a bit of issue with the, uh, fitting in there? I can imagine, yes. I can imagine you were still yes. a bit of a, I can imagine you were still a bit of a thug. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, I was very hard, mm -hmm. but I was also very scared. I was, I was scared because of my lifestyle in South Africa. Yeah, um, I never went through too much of what the apartheid was. Yes, my father got beat the shit up for crossing the wrong road. Mm -hmm. We went to a place in Durban in Bar Beach, and we get you know getting told to leave because yeah. it's not for us. Um, so I didn't go through too much of that, but I was around to those situations where, you know swimming in the beach and surfer comes purposely in there. And uh, my sister's mother-in-law just, he surf surfboard opened her up and he's like, yeah, get you cunts out of here. And mm -hmm. that's all we're like, so we've been through a little bit of it. And I'm like, wow, okay, cool. So when I came here, it was not a hate or anything. No, like I never did that. It's just like, oh, I can't really speak to them. Mm -hmm. I know my place. Yeah. Uh, I'll just respect you. You respect me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when I went to Auckland Grammar, I just, yeah, I never really 
spoke to anyone for the first sort of week. One, I couldn't understand what they were saying because <laughs> they didn't open their mouth. Yeah. Words were coming out, but I'm like, what? I'm trying to read the lips and yeah. I'm like, what's going on? So it was not scary because like I say, I'm hard, mm-hmm. you know, coming from South Africa and Durban, especially in my ears. I'm like, this is okay. But at the same time, I'm like, man, how do I fit in? How do you fire in, Yeah, right? like, because I don't know Kiwi, white, or anything. I just like, I don't speak the same language. I've never been exposed to the same thing that they've yeah. been exposed to. And I'm not saying everyone has it easy. I'm just telling you what I had. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I can't speak to you because we're not the same. Yeah. Because uh, that's how you brought up, right? Right. And that's and what that's what that's what's not, pushed it's, into it's you. It's nobody else's fault. Yeah. You know. So when I came there and I'm like, oh man, I just gotta ask people. Like automatically, I get on the bus. The bus was full. I'll be sitting down. A white guy, white school kid, yeah. I get up and I give it to you. I got no problem with it. Yeah. I got no problem with it. I got up and I did it. And people, what are you doing? I go, I have my seat. It's all good. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I just did it. But I'm like, how do I form conversation with them? Because I've never done it in mm-hmm. South Africa. But then I was like, ah, oh, this is different. Carried on. But yeah, never understood it. Didn't really like it for the first year. Like it was nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it was nice, like from my neighborhoods and stuff. So yeah, I just went through that uh, year now. Year 12, sixth form, mm-hmm. which is like your second last year of yeah. school. Uh, couldn't do year 13, uh, seventh form, because we didn't have, my father had 75 bucks in his account. <laughs> and he had to pay rent, food and stuff. And we're like, I knew at that time, like, I was grown at 11. <laughs> so I knew, okay, well, I have to leave school. Yeah. So I couldn't go back because, well, one, something had to happen. My father had to go to work on the building, so I needed to go help him. Mm-hmm. So... I just lied my way about, look, I can always get into university. <laughs> my parents were not going to know anything because they knew you had to go finish school, go to university, study, go do this. Don't be like us. Yeah. You know, but so I just said, oh, I could get into university. I don't have to go do my last year. <laughs> that, but I was only doing that because I knew I had to go help yeah. my father. Um, so I did that, took the long route. Anyway, yeah, worked the building sites. Um, I used to get like five bucks a day. Just laboring, laboring. I still got the $5 note from 20 odd years ago. <laughs> it, it was signed and said, hope you have add many zeros to it. So I still have it. Um, and then, yeah, just did that and eventually went to uni. Uh, used to play football. So I've had bad injuries with my knee. I had three reconstructions. So I, nothing was going to happen for yep. me because that was one of my routes to get make it mm-hmm. out. Yeah, so I just went to university. And, yeah, sports science started coming into the scene early 2000s. Applied for all of that and did it. And I want, I said, I always, because of my childhood saying, oh, well, I want to be an athlete and I didn't make it there. So mm. as close as possible. Right. Coaching. And I know what athletes need because I put my hand up and we never really got the help. Mm-hmm. So I said, I could do this. And then, yeah, studied. And my last year of my university, I said, oh, I'll open up a gym, opened up a gym on the North Shore, mm-hmm. just wanted it performance based. And yeah, just teams started coming through, one athlete, and then yeah, 10, 12, 15 <laughs> years later, here we are. So, here we are. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was a weird, weird time coming over because, yeah, people from my neck of the world, we don't really get to my positions. No. Um, and especially of an Indian South African. Mm-hmm. I'm meant to be in accounting, IT, <laughs> or something, you know, like yeah. I'm not meant to be in charge of helping these top class athletes. Yeah. This whole stereotype stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I do as well pushes and drives because I want someone that looks like me that goes, 
oh, if he can make it, mm-hmm. I can make it. Yeah. I want someone from my area to go, oh, if he can make it, I can make it. I want someone from my country, anywhere, if he can make it, mm. I can make it. I want someone from New Zealand go, ooh, okay, so he can make it. Because mm-hmm. I got told, oh, you're just going to be an overqualified tra- uh, like personal trainer. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, watch me. You don't know me. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I've been through. You, yeah, you haven't. I haven't even touched the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that that's where it is. Yeah, that's yeah. where it is. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, it is so true, you know, you coming out there and from seeing from the other side, for both myself, um, you know, um, coming over and then having to, you know, having to fight because we raised to fight. And I've spoken about this uh, many times before and that was sort of the – the main grips of where, when I, for example, when I went through my brain tumor and my surgery and hit my low point, um, I got offered a, um, my situation. I got so dark and, and deep hole. I got offered the two doors, the door out of this world, or mm-hmm. keep fighting. And it was the South African upbringing of you fight for everything to keep me going, right, mm-hmm. and to keep me going to where I, I am today and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then coming here and then finding place, and uh, you know that's that's amazing to see that. And it's like I said, that's why there's a there's always that real interesting one when New Zealanders see the the um, the South African work ethic, mm. and it's just because uh, a lot of the people in New Zealand don't understand that of that that fear of getting up, the fear yeah. of actually having food on the table, mm. and the violence and all the rest of it. Yeah. It literally just it's, it's literally like injected into you as a child, and it just keeps pl- pumping yeah. through. And it's hard to get rid of it, right? Yeah, I can 100%. imagine. It still, it still happens now, and, and there's still days where I've got even my family or friends are like, dude, like just slow down, like yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. cool, <laughs> like you like, got to remember where you are, 100%, you know. Like in South Africa, you don't really have the help you have here. Yeah, like you don't have a job, government's helping you. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with that. Yeah, <laughs> I have a big problem with that because you're lazy. <laughs> Go and get a job. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of jobs out there. Yeah, you know. Stop making every excuse under the sun of why you can't get a job. It just comes down to you being lazy. Mm-hmm. Go get a job. It may not be the job you want, but temporary. Yeah. Start getting into habits of, i got to get up, got to go to work, i got to do my best today at that job, at that moment in my time. Mm-hmm. That will lead you to your next best moment. If you don't have a moment, what other moments are you working for? Mm-hmm. You're forever going to be there. So get up, stop being lazy, go get a job, stop waiting for people to help you because at the end of the day, you're the only person that can help yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have a problem with it. Like too many people are just waiting for handouts. Too many people don't really want to work. And I'm helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I help every freaking person under the sun. Like there's so many people that I train that I take no money from because mm-hmm. I know they got no money. There's people I give money to. You know, I'm not going to name anybody, but mm. people can't pay for comps. People can't send their kids to certain competitions. Mm-hmm. They'll message me. I will happily send me a bank account. I'll send the money. Mm. I don't want no mention about it. Right? So I help a lot of people because I know they're trying. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the ones that are just happy to stay at home and complain. Yeah. So get a job. <laughs> get used to it. Figure it out. And once you get in the habit of routine, okay, Start branching yourself out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be your permanent position. All right? That's just temporary. It's setting you up for the next moment. I mean, I could have used that excuse of oh, the world's against me. Mm-hmm. You know? But I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. You know? I did what I have to do. I worked so many jobs before I did what I mm-hmm. had to do. And I said, 
let's say well, maybe two weeks ago, if I got released from whatever contracts, I'll happily go and tell you the spaghetti is in aisle five, sir. Yeah. I'll be working there. You best believe it. I got no problem. I got Do, no problem doing anything. Um, so funny. Uh, many many years ago, I did the same. <laughs> we t- we took a we took a year off to raise my daughter, mm-hmm. um, and then sort of needed to keep myself um, mentally still strong. So I went and worked minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. in retail. Um, and then there was a situation in my career a couple of years later where I was in a turning point and unsure mm. and got to a point where I was a bit on the bench longer than I'd like. Mm. And I was literally a week away from going back to minimum wage and yeah. going back and doing the grind. And because, again, look, it's, it's going to piss people off, but mm. it's, again, it's that upbringing of, hey, I, I can go and work. I'm not going to sit at home and say thank you. Mm. Um, and I'd rather do that because there's that stepping stone from that um, yeah. and, and to go through it. But I know with yourself and like you say, the hard and grind. Um, I want to get I want to get into a bit of the story of yourself and Izzy, mm. um, especially now that I mean, uh, at the time of recording, we're a couple of weeks obviously um, after uh, Whitaker and Drickus, mm. mm. and I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But I know you've got a really cool story of you and Izzy and mm. his path from sort of like 2014 onwards, mm. and and then sitting in Australia yeah. uh, and watching yeah. watching him and the spider, right? So, yeah. so, so that, talk me through how you and Izzy met and how that grew. Yeah. So. Like I mentioned earlier, the gym that I yep. opened uh, in 2013, and we have a mutual friend, and he'd come and watch us play like seven-a-side football in mm-hmm. summer, and we met, and we all became friends. And we used to go watch UFC in bars, my house, his and house. he was And he was not UFC at this moment, no, right? 2014, so he was, no. Yeah, he, he was still kickboxing, kickboxing, right? Kickboxing, NZ, it, yeah. you know, China, wherever mm-hmm. it is. So we'd watch it in local bars, other friends' houses, my house, mm-hmm. and we'd just watch UFC and... Uh, he eventually said, end of 2013, oh, I can work with you because mm-hmm. they had someone that helped them and he knew what I was about. Mm-hmm. So start of 2014, he came through and, yeah, we just started working. And But you had to get yourself validated by Eugene, right? By Eugene, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Izzy went and spoke to Eugene and was like, hey, I'm going to be working with Sons. And, like, he tr- sorry, he would have went and spoke, like, I train yeah. all these athletes and da-da-da, sports science degree, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like, I'm not just some random <laughs> person pulling out stuff from my hat. Yeah. So, I Because I played, I played rugby for two years with Eugene, okay. many years ago. So yeah. I haven't seen him since those days. He used to play art in Massey. Okay. So he played flank and I, play, I was in the front row. Yeah. Um, we were part of the Massey Mafia, Massey Mafia tribe many, many years ago. Okay. Um, and the funny thing is, you see you see Eugene, you don't think much of him, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's an MMA fighter himself, obviously broke his leg, I think the last fight he ever mm-hmm. did. But in the team, we were well-versed that this man would fucking kill you in a split second. Yeah. So we were obviously the Massey team, so we are known, known more of the Wild West. Uh, mm. We'll play the North Shore teams, which yeah. are of um, a different color of race, naturally. Yeah. So there's usually a big fight. And the funniest things that would always happen is guys would grab, let's say there would be a big buff, someone would grab Eugene. And us Massey boys wouldn't hold Eugene back. We would hold the <laughs> other guy back and go, dude, you don't want to do that. You don't know who this guy is yeah. and what he can do. Yeah. And because we knew that if Eugene got let loose, he mm. would just fucking destroy. Yeah. No, um, nah. And it was funny because I always think back because then he, he was talking about that he had a kickboxing gym. Mm. He had CKB, uh, obviously top of town, and I was working bottom of town. Mm. Um, and I was, for, for a while I wanted to go and join him, but I was I had to walk from literally bottom of like Key Street all the way up oh. if I ever wanted to use it. And yeah. I was just like, nah, nah. Mm. Um, 
uh, I went, I got into boxing into a, uh, in a different place than I could because my dad grew up in a kickboxing world champ. Okay. Um, so I had that in me to go, oh, I should have joined. And then yeah. I look and then you blink and then, holy shit. Yeah. Big time. No, no. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, how do I ever go back and say hi to Eugene, <laughs> right? 100%. So, yeah, that, that was it. And we just trained, yeah. carried on, pushed on. We started doing really well. And, like, I'm not going to take credit for why he did well. Mm-hmm. I was just the 1% of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say I'm just that curtain guy that pulls a string mm-hmm. on the curtains. I'm not the one that's there for the photo in the front. I know my job. So, yeah, we did that. Developed and continued and continued mm-hmm. and continued. And the UFC at that time, Izzy was making traction, got into it. Yep. And yeah, one fight to the next fight to the next fight. Yeah, got to the title, defended the title five or six times. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was it. And then now he works with AB, which was my athlete as well. I used mm-hmm. to coach him and he was my student. I used to supervise him. So I know he's in good hands. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And because my life is so busy at the yep. moment. So that's good uh, that he's still there. So yeah, it just it just developed in that way that like I'm I I'm very transparent. Mm-hmm. Like he knew what he was getting with me. Yep. Um, I knew what I was getting with everybody else, and yeah, I just yeah we just clicked because we vibed. So uh, let's talk about Izzy specifically, just because of the mm. size and the mm. magnitude. I can imagine there's a lot of people wanting questions, right? So also you are one coach of many. Mm. Correct, right? Mm. Obviously, Eugene is is the man, right? Mm. He's seen mm. as the head coach or the head honcho. Yeah. But underneath Eugene, at any one stage, whether it's Kai, Kai Carafrange, mm. uh, um, any of the boys out of the CKB, um, you know, Shane Young and those guys, there's multiple layers of coaching beneath it, and you form part of this mm. puzzle, right? Because mm. I think a lot of times people think there's sometimes maybe there's one person and he runs it all, mm. but there's so many people that actually yeah. form part of this puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Um how do you guys or girls all fit in to make sure, you know, again, if you're using Izzy as the example, how do you make sure that you guys as the coaching panel are aligned to get Izzy the best? Because there might be something you want to do, mm. but it might not necessarily yeah. align with another coach. No, 100%. Um, when Izzy got into the UFC, uh, we met. And this this is it. After he got into the UFC in the first fight, mm-hmm. Came back, we met in the Auckland domain on the grandstand, me, Eugene, and Izzy. Mm-hmm. We sat there on the grandstand, and Eugene said, the guys in the UFC are just big. Mm. So all we need to do is get him strong. I said, yes, we don't need to get him big. Mm-hmm. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. You don't need to be big to, to be, be strong. Strong, yeah. strong is strong. End of story. Um, that's like my, my nephew who was, what, 52 kgs pulling 210, <laughs> you know, way over three times yeah. body weight benching like i think he got the 130 in the gym like he went to break the world record mm. in his uh age group so strong is strong don't get it twisted and a lot of people get it twisted you got to be big uh so yeah that was the main thing my message was just get him strong so i knew my role yep get izzy strong we do our parts mm-hmm. i understand the science i understand the weekly uh or the camp length mm. i know the load I know what's going on, so I know how to adjust. At the end of the day, the fight training and all the disciplines, that's primary training. Mm-hmm. I am secondary. Yep. I'm there to support. So if at any one week I need to adjust my load so that he can make his other sessions at 100%, mm-hmm. I will do that. I will not go, no, sorry, guys. 
you did 100% there, you come do 100% with me. Yeah, we can do that some weeks. Mm. But if you spent, yep. my job as a sports scientist is to understand all of this and adjust it. Mm. One session that I adjust, I'm not going to lose anything. I'll gain more from you being fresh. Yeah. So that's how I do a lot of my coaching. It's a lot more science than it was 20 years ago, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's a lot more analytical yeah. science. And I know you've spoken about <laughs> uh, before, about a lot of, it's a lot more tracking, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, we're talking about off air, that you've spoken about how this, um, it's the training fatigue to uh, training plus fatigue equals performance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And understanding the the upside of when I train, I naturally fatigue, mm -hmm. but over time it actually becomes one and then it actually increases the performance mm -hmm. by hitting this fatigue. But if you take that as a linear path, if you've got multiple layers underneath, you've got to then take the training and the fatigue in right. each one of these linear paths as one, right? You can't keep them separate. No. Nothing, nothing works separate. Yeah. Everything works together. Like, you know, you move one thing on the equalizer, hmm. the next button has to move. Yeah. It's not individual. No, 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 no. As soon as one moves, the other one has to follow suit, mm -hmm. figure out what's going on. So that's where I see. And I guess in my field from a, Sports science and SNC, I think a lot of SNCs are doing too much. Yeah. Uh, and the problem is, not a problem. I understand they've got to market themselves. Mm -hmm. And I understand they've got to make shit exciting for <laughs> Instagram and all of that. But then all of their training is exciting training. Yeah. It's absolutely fucking useless. Yeah. They're throwing shit all over the place. Because the boring stuff like stretching, which is so yeah. important, yeah. comes across as horrible on social media. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know? Oh, my Lord. Who, who wants to stretch? Who yeah. wants to mobilize? Nobody even wants to nowadays. Yeah. Nobody wants to just go and squat, yeah. deadlift, bench, and the, go home. Yeah, the three power, the three power exercises, they, right? They don't want to do that. <laughs> What's the point? Brother, <laughs> I am just training your muscles, not yeah. the action. Yeah. I will train some action that's going to relate and transfer to a fight or how we summate or how we generate force mm -hmm. through a certain movement. But people are trying too many things and I, I understand it. Mm -hmm. I, I used to do it when I first, oh, I've got to market myself. Yeah. All right. And, I, I, but I caught myself quick. It probably took one post and I was like, what the hell are you doing, mm -hmm. sons? This is not you. So it became more like, let me educate and because I want to help as many SNCs as I can. Yep. I'm not competing with them. I don't need to compete with you. I want to help you so that our field can get better. Yeah. If we create this massive army of unreal SNC coaches, imagine what kind of athletes we can create out of NZ or if we work with international athletes. Mm -hmm. We can have weapons from this country if we just got everyone on the same page. So, yes, as much as you're all individual businesses and stuff, but if we create a strong field because you must share information. Yep. Everyone wants like, ah, it's my secret. I got this. There's no secret, <laughs> brother. <laughs> it's been out there for 40, 50 years. Yeah. You just added a twist now and making it look like it's something new. It's something different, right? Yeah, exactly. Like a skull crusher for the triceps. Ah, so just, yeah, for your tricep extension. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Good job. You know? Uh, true. Uh, many, many years ago, I, uh, before I realized my path, I had um, that same sort of bad belief that mm. I've got secrets and if I share it, you're going to take my secrets and do with it. Mm. And going through my story and going through everything else, I had the realization, and, and since you know this is actually you, you and I'm me, right? Mm. 
I can give you everything I know and you can give me everything I know. I ain't going to become an SNC and you're not going to come and sit on the side and become no. a podcaster, right? Um, and as much as we'll get better at each other's roles, we'll never replace each other's roles. And you see that you see that a lot. And I can imagine in a sporting scene, because mm. there's that publicity and that ego and the mm. supposed potential for money, mm. guys hold on to it more. But it's, you know, I can imagine a lot of what you're doing and why people come to you is because of what you are as an individual, not mm. going, okay, go and bench. Now, everyone can go say, go and bench, but it's what you add on top of that, right? 100%. And I mean, for one of the big things like I've seen with yourself is you speak about, you don't come to warm up to warm up. Oh. You should be warm mentally and with what you're thinking mm. when you come to the warm up. So your, yeah. your, your mindset is you come to the first step already on the first step, mm. not to get to the first step. Yeah. And that's sort of a, just a subtle little no, change in sense. That's and one of the things that really pisses me off is mm. if I see somebody turn up to a session and they look like life's against them. Yeah. It's a privilege to mm -hmm. train. It's a privilege to play sport. Even local, under 15, under 9s, under 10 reserves. It's a privilege because I can tell you what, I was a kid one mm. time wishing I could have played on that Saturday, but I had to go and try and get mm -hmm. money. There's a lot of kids out there wish they could go and play. Mm-hmm. A lot of fathers and mothers wish they could go and play, but they got to go and work. Yep. They got to go do life. Mm. So when people turn up to training, not ready. Pisses you off. Oh, it pisses me off. It's go home, go mm -hmm. home, come back another time. Because I've always said like, it's a two way street. If your energy is not right. Yep. And if you come like that, I'll give you that energy. Mm -hmm. What you give me is what I'll... <laughs> I'm going to give you back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's ground reaction force. What you give the ground is what the ground will give you back. I'm the ground. Yeah. Ground yourself here. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, it's so funny. I remember um, my, my old man used to coach me sports. Um, so I played baseball for many, many years, rep level, and even in New Zealand. Um, so he was our under-16 coach. So we were mm. 14, 15, some of us closer to 16 at that stage, obviously trying to figure out ourselves in life and trying to become men. And you can imagine, yeah. you know, that sort of age, you fully understand that. And we were, again, a bit of a wild bunch of boys. We were the yeah. best, some of the best in the country. Um, he took four of us to national level. Mm -hmm. um, so from one team, there's nine, there's nine players on the field for baseball. Um, at the SA 16s and SA 18s, four of the starting nine came from, from our team. Okay. Um, but we weren't, uh, we didn't listen. We, we know we were just wild and I listened. And I remember vividly one of these kids came up, one of this, one of the four actually, one practice came up and again, he wasn't there. He wasn't all in it and stuff. And I could see my dad, um, and it's funny, my dad implements a rule, and I do the same for my for my son. That when we're at practice, I'm coach. So my son calls me coach at practice, and I'm dad at home. So there's a, a full differentiation. So dad to me was coach when I was at baseball. So I could see the coach getting really annoyed with this kid. And finally, after a while, he turned around to me. And he's like, "Oh, cool. You know, do you want to be here, Donny?" He goes, "Ah, oh, I can't be." He goes, "I can't. I can't really." not really vibing a coach mm. and we were we were in the the team was we were in suburbia so we all walked we were all close mm. enough to walk to the field so my dad finally meant he just turned around and said okay cool go home yeah. walk home go home and when mom says and dad says why aren't you at practice you go because i wasn't listening to coach and i didn't feel like it yeah. and the kid knew the beating sorry yes 
this 20, 30 years ago in South Africa, this <laughs> shit happened. The beating he would have gotten from his parents if he mm. walked into the house and said, coach sent me home because I was a listener or I don't want to be at mm. practice. Mm. And straight away he was like, no, 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 coach. No, coach, it's fine. I'll get myself, I'll get myself <laughs> my focus into right and I want to stay. Don't send me home, mm. right? And it was just getting that sort of focus mm. at that point. The same with yourself. The thing is, people fail to realize, and I don't know, like at the end of the day, we can say what we want and people may not like what we say because in today's world, it's not right, but that's okay. That's your point of mm -hmm. view. This is my point of view, but you represent your family. Mm -hmm. It reflects back on you. You know, and that, that that's how it is. It's like when you go, when kids are a certain way, what's going on at home? Mm -hmm. You know, and we can get deep into it, but everyone wants to make everything so deep when it really is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I always say, you represent your friends, your friends represent you. So choose wisely yep. who you keep in your circle. You know, and keep your circle small because you get found out. Every, like everybody is very comfortable walking with a thousand people, mm -hmm. but they're not comfortable walking with 10. Yeah. You'll get found out. You can hide in a thousand people. Mm -hmm. You can get carried in a thousand people. 10, you got to pull your own weight. Yep. People don't realize how much work it is to stand next to one person mm -hmm. and go down whatever path it is, right? Um you know, I've, I've seen it over the, the few years, you know, through my sports career um, and me trying to play national level and rep level in the different sports, mm -hmm. um, you know, being um, in this game and being coaching stuff. People, or I can imagine yourself, you know, you're, you're at the echelons of the top level. Like everyone, like everyone wants to walk next to Izzy. Everyone wants to be his BF. But they don't understand the the the, gr uh, the grind, the, the 16 mm -hmm. or 18 hours when it has to, the amount of work for the five minutes of Izzy chilling mm -hmm. that it looks like it's cool on tv yeah. right when i mean the amount of work that goes into fight week i mean i'm a big Floyd mayweather fan always have been uh, yeah right mm -hmm. um it's funny enough uh yesterday i pulled out i've got a mani pack here and Floyd mayweather mm -hmm. signed gloves and conor mcgregor signed mm -hmm. gloves so a friend of mine so i pulled it all out of mm -hmm. my man cave so my friend could see it and people always were like cool i want to be you know i, I want to be him and have what he has but when he was that dude was in fight camp the amount like no one could stand next to him and keep up with him and don't understand yeah. what it takes yeah. to do that. So they want the, the benefits but don't understand the no. negatives and the grind that needs to go with it. And that's a problem. Like people will see the lifestyle now mm -hmm. uh, and this is for Izzy, the top athletes, mm -hmm. or they see me and they go, well, it's easy for you to sit there, sons, and say, go to work, yeah. do this. Uh, but you didn't see my 38 years that I was pushing. Yeah, You see now – because we're all lucky to have mm. these flash phones that have videos that we can watch of what everyone's doing. Mm -hmm. But you didn't see what I had to do. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't see that pile of pile of dirt I had to get through to get to the top. So it's the same thing with the athletes. When you see that and you listen to them and you have people comment going, oh, well, it's easy for you to say when you're getting paid thousands and millions and stuff. But there was work put in. Um, it's so true. I mean, I looked at the. I was talking to my dad the weekend. We were funny enough we were talking about the purses from two ninety, right? Mm. So I went and found the um, the website that did the purses because he was saying to me how much Drickus made and Robert mm. and the, you know those guys are sort of obviously Robert's up there. Drickus has got he's obviously going to get a title fight with yeah. Izzy. We'll get onto that in a yeah. sec. But then you go down the you go down the rest of the sheet and you go and see the the uh, prelims and the pre prelims. And they fifteen or sixteen k, right? Yeah. And you forget again. I know we keep it on the fight game, but it, it plays a lot into the wider spectrum. There's the fighter, there's the head coach, there's the cut man, there's the SNC, 
He's likely got about a crew of three to five boys in the in the in the in the in the, gym, in, the yeah. in the camp with him. He pays, right? And he's doing what? A lot of those the small guys would do six week camp, six or eight yeah, weeks, eight weeks yeah. sort of six yeah, to eight, eight weeks is coming. So he's carrying those guys for eight weeks, and the payout is sixteen grand, right? And, and he's got a and, family, you know, and he's got a manager, mm-hmm. likely, and he's got his accountant that steals his money, right? And mm-hmm. he's got a family, yeah. so he literally ends up maybe putting like two k in his pocket, mm-hmm. but. Yes, I want to have that because look at all they have, but they mm. don't understand all yeah. of that shit. Like you said, yeah. all this dirt you've got to go through mm-hmm. and the 1% that makes on top. Yeah. But where I take my hat off and where I have full respect, and you, you, as soon as you were seeing this, when a guy comes to the gym going, I have that goal, I am going to fight for all money. But if I get there, that's where I want to be. But great, but I'm willing to crawl through shit to try and achieve it. Mm-hmm. And there's very few guys out there or yeah. girls that will come to it and go, I understand how hard it is. I understand mm-hmm. uh, my family's going to take a backseat. I'm mm-hmm. going to stand, I understand how backwards I'm going to go and still willing to give yeah. it a go. And that's, that's the thing. I, I speak a lot about a priority scale. Mm-hmm. And that's where I go. There's a priority scale of, you know, your top priorities go here, your least of the priorities mm. go here, and then you split into a primary and secondary column. Mm. Your high priorities go into your primary column. Your low priorities go into your secondary column. You've got to fulfill your primary column before you can move to secondary, mm-hmm. which means if you haven't done steps 7, 8, 9, and 10, you cannot go and watch a movie with your friends. Yep. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. All right? In your primary column, you can then now rearrange your priorities, which one requires the most amount of attention, to the least amount of tension. Depending where you are, what you're right. doing, right? And exactly. Everything else. And that thing constantly gets reshuffled. Mm-hmm. So all you got to do is, what's my goal? What's adding to my goal? What's going to get me closer to my goal? All right? Put all those steps, your daily routines, write down two columns, primary, secondary, mm-hmm. things that are directly influencing my goals go into primary, yep. secondary, right? Sacrifice 10 weeks, 12 weeks, one year, two years. Five years is nothing. Mm-hmm. Five years goes like that. So people have a problem with the long game because we're in a Siri generation. Mm-hmm. Siri, can you tell me what this calculation is? <laughs> Siri, can you do this? And Siri gets it done for you. Yeah. Right? So nobody is willing to go and do that work. And that's the problem. And when it, it gets hard towards the deep end of camps, you find people. Mm-hmm. You find them out. And I, I'm, I'm always like, you know, in football and all that they provide a lot of things for players because mm. they want to make it nice and you know, it's a good environment. But I'm like, nah, take take half the shit away yeah. from them. They need to work for it. Go buy your own stuff. And, and un- un- understand it. Yeah, we, we played at the same National League level, et cetera, with no change rooms sometimes in South Africa. Mm-hmm. The grounds, you turn up and there's toilets there, but you're changing outside under the tree. Dude, I played... I played top-level club rugby. Like I said, I mm. went back. I uh, got invited to Springbok 21 trials by Peter de Villiers, ex-Springbok coach. I was playing top-level club rugby, right? Mm. Uh, sort of one tier below um, the Blues and so forth. Um, I went and played. I played for Tigerberg, which was uh, which was a coloured club, mm. you know? And we played. There was a club called SK Warmers, which were mm. a Muslim club. Mm. And in South Africa, the colours and the Muslims sometimes in Cape Town don't get along. Mm. I was the only white boy on the field. Mm. We walked out the tunnel at... Club, professional club level, we got paid, right? We mm. were getting paid at club level. I was getting spat on. I was getting called names you want to know. Literally, like, my parents had to be kept on a corner somewhere mm. away to be safe from what was going on. Mm. And this is the stuff that you had to get on. 
that is actually the game that partially half changed my career because I was playing hooker. First couple of scrums, guys throwing punches right through the right in my mm. face as I'm in the scrum. Stood up, Ruth says, You're fine. I said, No, it's all right. Hits like, you know, hits like my mom or hits like yeah. a woman or whatever. <laughs> um, some some bitchy little call like that. And in the next scrum, the guy kicked my kneecap off. Oh. Right? Literally like kneecap to the side, mm. gone, and everything else. Um, and, you know, that's the top level club scene playing being paid. Now imagine. Mm three tiers or four tiers Dumb. or the socials or all the rest of it and understand mm. the grind, right? Mm. The guys that were playing there went from there mm. to uh, Province, Stormers, Springboks. Mm. That was it. That wasn't another five steps and that that's how yeah, close it was. No. And that's the shit you had to put up, you know, with 100%, them. 100%. And that's why I say, like, I'm all good, like, game day you, you provide stuff and – I know this happens in a lot of sports. You have all your drinks in the change room, your bananas. You have everything made out for you to perform so well. But you're just ungrateful shits. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm happy for that to all be there. But show you actually care. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not saying it's everyone. When I see a few of these kids, I'm like, man, you are so privileged. You're just entitled. Yeah. You feel like. Everybody oh, owes you something. I hate that. I hate that shit. Yeah. So I'm I'm always like so hard because of my upbringing and I had to work for everything. But the things you work for really hard last the longest. Mm -hmm. Anything you do temporary or anything you do fast, it goes quicker than you even got it. Mm -hmm. But there's too dumb and naive to understand that. Yep. Oh, I'm 21. I'm grown. No, you're stupid. <laughs> you're not grown. <laughs> You're going to be 40 and being like, oh, wow, I really was stupid. Yeah. Your life, 21 years old, growing up here in New Zealand versus the rest of the world mm -hmm. is different. Even if I go far north or south Auckland, it's mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked with First 15 De La Salle. I worked with First 15 Sacred Heart. Two different, two different schools. Two different series, man. Yeah. Two different respects. Two different fights. Yeah. You know, people are playing for two different. Reasons and meanings. Yeah, people can't come to training. I, I used to drill some of them. Until I realized, hey, Suns, you understand what home could be like from those neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Stop it. You used to be there. Yeah. And then I was like, because I got caught into this, like, now nah, you got to be there because I used to be the kid. I have to make training. Yeah. All right. But I understand sometimes you can't because you got to take care of shit at home. Mm -hmm. So it's different out there in South Auckland, North, wherever, all these low socioeconomic groups. Like, it's not easy. I know this for a fact. And... I dealt with those schools. I dealt with plays in there. I go in and I help people in there. All right? So when I had the two schools, I'm like, man, those kids just got that. How they'd apply themselves. Or if these talented kids just applied themselves like that, mm -hmm. if their fight was a little bit more hungry, like I went to the under-20 World Cup, yep. and you play countries that are playing for more than just, ah, oh, I've been to the under-20 World Cup. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> you know? you got people trying to get their families out of poverty. Yeah. If they don't make it, mm -hmm. they're going back to a factory yep. or something. Um, boxing is one of those ones. Um, I always loved I always loved the fight game. I grew up with my dad being kickboxing, like I said, mm. kickboxing world champ. I always wanted to get into it. And my father said to me as I, – I, I did boxing late in my life. Uh, it could have been a partial uh, reason of my brain tumor, but let's just leave it there. Um, but he always said to me this weird thing as a kid, and I never appreciate it. He said, Lawrence, you're too privileged to be a boxer. Mm. 
And he goes, and I never understood it. And like, look, mm. I had a good upbringing, but we didn't have a lush, crazy mm. upbringing. Mm. But he said to me, you too privileged. And, and when I was old enough, he turned around and he says, wasn't that you were too privileged, like you had too much money or anything else? Mm. He goes, you weren't raised that if you didn't win today, there was no food on the table. Mm. If you didn't perform today, um, you couldn't buy clothes tomorrow or go to school tomorrow. He goes, that is the difference of being saying, um, and that's in the boxing game. You can see guys, and you go, and that specifically. This was, you know, I can imagine in the nineties, we were of the same age. So the nineties before the UFC game was there at all. Mm. And he said, like, you're climbing the ring, and that guy will destroy you because to him, if he doesn't get through me, he doesn't eat for a week. His mm. family doesn't eat for a week, or yeah. or something doesn't happen. Or kids go and don't go to school. Mm. And he goes, you have the drive. But you yeah. just don't, you're not ready to go to hell. No, 100%. And like, I remember I used to, this was early, early 2000s, I was playing for North Shore United and my father used to watch every training of mine. Mm -hmm. And one day I got into the high ace, we had a Roy Toyota high ace <laughs> and he goes, oh, shit training from you. <laughs> like, you should play chess or do something else if yeah. that's going to be your attitude. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool. And I was, I was used to it, it's normal. <laughs> I'm like, I knew I did, but I was like, yep, cool. I'll sort it out. So that's it. Like, just be honest, man. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not saying go and be mean or what you watch on the internet. Oh, this coach was drilling. Oh, I got to act in this manner. No, just be honest. Understand who you are. Understand who you're working with. Just be honest about everything. Like, that's not good enough, but I can show you what you need to do to be better. Yep. You can't just leave it at that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. You need some answers. You need some solutions to help. So yeah, Totally, man. Last thing I want to get on today, and obviously one of the big questions out there at the moment, let's talk Izzy Drickus. Yeah. Right? So we are now, uh, time of recording, about two and a half, three weeks after Whitaker Drickus' fight. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, I've, I've, followed, I've followed every single Drickus's UFC fight. Mm -hmm. I can imagine you've done the mm -hmm. same. You're still a passionate South African oh. supporter. Um, I know Saturday night for both of us was a hard night. <laughs> yeah. To anyone out there watching for the, the Springboks and the All Blacks. Uh, before you say anything, fuck you. Don't even say anything. <laughs> I, 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 I accept that. I take it. What, no, one bonus. We won the second half. I'll take that. There we go. We, the South Africans won the second half. So, But anyway, um, let's go into thoughts on, firstly, thoughts on Drickus Whitaker fight. What, what, what's your thoughts on that one? So I made a call before the fight that I won't be surprised if Drickus wins. Mm -hmm. uh, I was picking Rob purely based on experience yep. and where he is in terms of the middleweight. But I said, I will not be surprised if Drickus wins because if he gets in and his style of fighting is very forward, Rob's going to have problems. Mm -hmm. And it happened. It happened. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he's, and he's, he's a big boy. Trickers. He's, yeah, he's a big he, he looks a little bit leaner. He yeah. looked a little bit leaner. He's yeah. taken a bit of the muscle bound off. Yeah. Um, I mean, Drickus is, was always, his uh, cardio was always of question because of the muscle bound, right? Yeah. Um, being muscular in UFC or boxing is a is a bad idea, right? And that has cost him a lot of the other fights when he's when he puffed out, mm. um, but his power came through. Um, mm. He didn't puff out. I mean, it was only in the second round. Mm. Um, but I've got, a, I've got an opinion for, I've got a, a, a thought for the Drickus uh, is he fight when they do announce it or yeah. the way I see certain things playing yeah. out, but I'd love to see what your thoughts are um, around it. That's, a, that's like, I won't say it's a tricky fight. It's interesting because I see Drickus as a Marvin Vittori. Mm -hmm. It's like such similar styles. Yeah. Um, you know, is he going to, is Drickus going to keep his style mm -hmm. and press 
Or is he going to change his style based on who he's fighting? Because mm-hmm. he knows how calculated and skillful of a striker is he is. Yep. Now, if we go to boxing, Mayweather versus Canelo. Mm-hmm. I'm a Mayweather fan. Canelo and, is amazing. Right? And I was like, oh, I might have to put money on Canelo because he might win. Yeah. He stepped in the ring and he changed his whole mm-hmm. game plan because of the man standing in front of him. Correct. So the effect of Izzy might play a part or knowing Drikas and knowing the South African mm-hmm. mentality, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to do me. Mm-hmm. So that's where I see it. It's going to come down to, does he keep his style of fighting or does he change it based on, I've got to be calculated here because mm-hmm. of the level of striker and ranginess of Izzy. Yeah. So that's, that's how I see that fight because we know the fight game can end in 10 seconds mm-hmm. or... Go the so, yeah. Yeah, because, I th- look, I think, you know, close up, I think Drickus has the power. Mm. Obviously, Izzy's got the speed and the reach, right? Mm. There's no mm. there's no denying that. And that's where Drickus says, if he comes close up, he's, he's going to take him. Mm. Whether he does or doesn't, but I think that's the play. Now, the question I have and the logical things I'm saying is, is, is he going to go cool? I'm going to keep my distance, use my range, use my legs, mm. right, and play that strategy, work him down, mm. and, then, and then finish him off. Mm. Um, I'm assuming, again, it's make my core. I have, I'm, dude, as much as I've been around, all you guys that have been around the fighters, yeah. I have no insights to any on the rest yeah. of it. But I think that might be the bit of the play. Mm. Now, from the Drickus side, Drickus wants a brawl because mm. that's where I think he stands a chance. Yeah. Now, the only way I see Drickus breaking Izzy to make the brawl and this is where I've got to also think, Drickus is not as flamboyant on the camera yet, on the mic. He's just not that good yet. I think to make that happen, he's got to get a bit personal. I think he's got to get a bit more personal and he's got to, he's got to, he's got to go down a rabbit hole that a lot of people necessarily don't want to go down because then he might make Izzy want to fucking kill him. Mm. Right, mm, mm. and therefore Izzy will stand in front of him, and we go toe to toe, and that might give Drickus that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, because if he keeps, if he doesn't bring him in mm. emotionally or somehow, yeah. I know Izzy's a big boy and he can handle it, but mm. if he builds that up enough, he might be able to entice him mm. to come in a little bit closer than he yeah. would. Might give him opportunity. I just think Drickus, from watching all, of course, his fight and post-fight interviews and press conferences, I just don't think it's in him. You know what I mean? Like, the aggro. The aggro or that type of person. Mm-hmm. Whether he needs to adopt it because that's the business side yeah. of it. He sh- like, I'd say any fighter needs mm-hmm. to start figuring out how they sell fights. Yeah. And it's part of the fight game. Mm-hmm. Boxing has been doing it for yeah, how yeah, many yeah. years? Correct. Um, you know, people and, and not 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 people directly involved with the fighter, but the fans on the keyboards and stuff. They get so invested into it when really it's just between the two guys mm-hmm. and they're selling the fight and whatever happens after happens after and they'll be fine. But it is what it is. It's a fight business. You've got to promote it. You've yeah. got to sell it. You've got to hype it up. Someone's got to be a heel, right? right? Someone's got to be a heel, which means someone's got to be a bad guy. There's a villain. Right? Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know if it's in him to, to do be, it, to do it uh, just yet, uh, whether he realizes it. Like a lot of people, like you see – Let's strip it all the way back to just my field, trainers. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were not really posting videos about their training mm-hmm. or talking because they're like, oh, no, it's it's not me. It's mm-hmm. so not me. And now everyone's slowly doing it. Mm-hmm. 
because they realize it's the way to sell. So, yeah, how that plays, I don't know. But, yeah, it'll, it, it's going to be an interesting one the last probably four weeks leading into whenever that fight is because mm-hmm. um, I don't know if Drickus will fight, you know, because it's so short turnaround. Yeah, you think in January, February maybe. So we're talking yeah. about a, a, a 296, 298, something, something around something there. Something like that. So, yeah, so. yeah w- whether he decides and someone goes, oh, look, you got to sell the fight and make it what it is. Mm. Uh, but that's yeah. different to, yeah, so selling the fight is different to mm. him doing it to get a reaction, right? Yeah, like the uh, mental game. Yeah, the mental mm. game. Because mm. like I'm saying is, I think if I think if if Drickus doesn't get Izzy close enough mm. to him, Izzy will kill him. Mm. Izzy's going to kill anyone at range. Mm. And he's mm. proven that. He's got the legs and the speed to to take anyone range. He's mm. got to bring him closer. Mm. And I think the only way, Izzy, because Izzy's smart. Izzy's not going to go, cool, I'm going to stand in front of him pound because I'm going to show him. Yeah, he's probably one of the smartest, yeah, the smartest guys, right? <laughs> he's not going to show that I'm going to stuff you up in front of you. I think in the sense, and that's the only way that I've spoken to a few people, I said is Drickers mm-hmm. turn around, whether he can or wants to, is mm-hmm. to get a little bit personal mm-hmm. to make it that Izzy wants to pound him in, mm-hmm. like front to front, it's and like, then he might have an opportunity. It's like you look at Paulo Costa yeah. and Yoel Romero, they yeah. changed the whole game. Yeah, It's like whether he's going to change, I don't know. I'm going to call it the Izzy effect because <laughs> him standing in front of you is a different thing yeah. uh, versus what you see on TV. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting how that all plays out. Yeah. Cool. So how are you going to call it? When? How are you going to call What do you call the fight? What's your expectation? i put it on now. We're likely six months out from the actual fight. Uh, from what Izzy said, you mm-hmm. know how he said, I'm going to make him pay. Mm-hmm. I feel like Izzy wants to go all five rounds and just being technical. Mm-hmm. And just pick, pick him, pick him, pick him, pick him. I'm purely going that. He goes, I will make him suffer sort of thing. So I'm like, okay. If I was a fighter mm-hmm. and I know my skill set, I'll use you for five rounds. Mm-hmm. I will. I, I don't want to get you out, out of there. Yeah. Uh, I want to punish you for five rounds. Mm-hmm. So if, yeah, that's probably what I would do. Uh, that's, yeah. If that's the case, I don't know. Like, like I said, that's, not my side of the mm. of the puzzle. Uh, I'm, so. sure, I'm sure you've signed some NDAs <laughs> <laughs> that you can never say yeah or no on, on Izzy, right? Yeah, oh. I, I could see you don't want to give an answer there, but that's cool. It's you know it's close enough. Uh, you know my my gut feel is Drickus has to do something within three rounds. Mm. Mm. I think it goes past three, he's done. Yeah. So yeah. no matter even if it's a pickup, I think once it's past three, he does. He won't have the legs mm. against Izzy. Mm. He won't have the cardio to go. And I think so. Uh, I think there'll be a potential for, like we saw against Whitaker, mm. um, if he has that opportunity and takes it within the first couple of rounds. Mm. Mm. But my gut feel is it should be a 70% every day of the week as he takes mm. it yeah. using his range, mm. um, the range. Yeah. If he comes in close, then it's 50-50 the way mm. I feel it. Yeah. No, it's – it's fair. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> nice, de- <laughs> nice deflection. Nice deflection. <laughs> All good. Um, soon, uh, as we end up at the uh, end of the show today, is there anything you want to leave our audience with? Uh, just any sort of insight or anything else? Uh, anybody watching this, like, for me, it's challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer on challenging yourself. Whether, whether you're working in a supermarket, whether you're working as a tradie, working as an SNC coach, high performance, every level of <laughs> the working class. Mm-hmm. Challenge yourself to be better every day. Like don't don't be happy where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, just push the boundaries, see what happens. And when I say see what happens, you're going to learn about yourself. 
Yeah. Because right now everyone's just comfortable. There's too many comfortable mm. people. Uh, so yeah, just just challenge yourself and don't get too caught up in everything that's going on in the world and stuff. Everything in front of you, it is what it is. Mm. It's nothing more than that. Stop trying to be too deep. Love. Uh, thanks so much for that, uh, Sunz. And it, uh, there's a there's a famous saying because I use it, it is what it is very often. They mm. say the person that goes it is what it is and has no worries for wider is a person that is dangerous because mm. they understand what it actually is and nothing more, right? Yep. Um, but thanks for that so much, Sunz. And for everyone else, thanks for coming over to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast. As always, I hope there's something in the show that you could take away. I hope there's something, some insights, some knowledge that can make benefit your life today or benefit someone else. You know, and I always say at the end of the show, I don't care about the like and subscribe and do all of that cheesy stuff. I care about you taking something away that makes a difference in your life or someone else um, and telling them to come on over and saying, here is some insight you might need to hear today or tomorrow to make your life in a better path. But as always, thanks for coming over to the show and hope to see you again.